Good morning. Welcome to Lifeline Edited. I'm your host, John Everly. Please excuse the cold that I've been battling now for the last few days, but I think once we get into the topic, you'll forget all about it. Ask yourself this, temptation. Temptation. Temptation comes every day in all different forms. It comes in business dealings, things that I have to go through on a daily basis, putting together business transactions. Or it comes in the shape of possibly infidelity. It comes everywhere. But ask yourself this. You're a cop. You're hired to protect and to serve. But what you see every day makes you sick to your stomach. You see people making more money in a day than you'll make in a year. And that temptation to cross over the line, take some of it back for yourself and your family, rationalization is everything, it has to be tremendous. My guest today lived it. My guest today paid the price for it. My guest today is going to tell us exactly how it began, how it ended, and how he has been reborn into a new person who's out there teaching about these dangers. Michael Dowd is my guest. He has done a documentary called The 7-5, about the 75th Precinct in Brooklyn. At the time, in the early 80s, the most dangerous, most notorious precinct in the United States. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Jump right into it. Yeah, right. I mean, where, where we start? <laughs> the beginning? The, the beginning. Well, for, me, for me, the quickest question for you is, um, are you... An adrenaline junkie. Yeah, I guess I am, you know. One of the things I ask myself is why do I put myself in these situations all the time? And, yeah, I sort of, I guess I enjoyed the thrill. Do you see yourself with maybe not an outright narcissistic personality, but some some aspects of that? Because that leads into actually great leadership, and I'm going to ask that as well. Do you see yourself as a as a good leader, someone people follow? Yeah, you know, at a very early age, I was one of seven children, and uh, I think in the household, an Irish household where, you know, dad was a firefighter, uh, you know, coming home, uh, smelling of the smoke of the, of the fires he just put out, and, uh, you know, all I could do was be the first one to the stairs to jump in his arms. So, uh, you know, I always wanted that type of uh, situation where I was, I guess, the center of attention, and who the hell knew? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you grew up in a time period, you're formative years were in the 60s and the 70s. That's you were, correct. You were yeah. watching as New York started to fall apart. Uh, right. The outer yeah. areas, the suburbs became the place to be. That's now, correct. You, yeah. you test high in high school, very high right. IQ. People right. are saying, hey, Michael, go to college, become an attorney, become a doctor, become an accountant, do yeah. something. You decide, hey, I'm going to take the fire department exam. My father's a fireman. I'm going to take the uh, NYPD exam, and you end up as a cop because? Well, because those are the first ones that called. You know, uh, I, I wanted to. I was involved in a relationship, a young man back in the '70s and '80s. You know, everybody they're looking to leave their house and get married the first week they hit the street. They didn't think about what young men and women think about today. Let's go out and do things and let's live a little bit of life first. We're supposed to get married and have kids. So, uh, I, my high school sweetheart, I, I wanted to marry her, and uh, I needed a job to support it. So, the, the police or the fire were the first available ones. I wasn't a 
accounting student, by the way. Okay. And I did fairly well at that. <laughs> I guess which which may translate into other things in my life later on as we go forward. But yeah, I enjoyed. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to have a, this this committed, loving, lasting relationship with a job to to support it. Now, when you go through the academy training, the academy is. It's all rules, it's all regulations, it's ABC, this is what it's going to be. Right. But there's a part in the movie. Very sanitary. Yes, <laughs> exactly. They don't yeah. really tell you what's going to happen in the real no. world. <laughs> no. Not at all. And, and I've experienced that in my own life where you're going through training and the real world is nothing they taught you. But you did have an internal affairs officer come in and kind of warn the class about the possibilities of temptation, kind of like the priests do or the nuns did when we were in school? Yes, yes, those types of things. You had, you had the warning, you know, uh, we're out there. Basically, it was, it was we're out there and you never know where we are. You know, it was like being a, showing you like the spook programs. They're, they're, they're anywhere. And the reality is they could be anywhere, but the fact is that generally they're not. No, they're not. There's not enough money to be able to support. It's kind of like reefer madness where they, they get you all scared about marijuana, but reality right. is it's not that big of a Oh. Yeah, yeah, just just lighten up, everybody. You know, and I don't mean light up. I mean lighten up. You know, life is life is what it is. Just enjoy the day. You know, Did you, stop you, arresting everybody in the world. For, for, you know, give it a break. I, I, again, you get to that point. I, I'm kind of there with you. And I guess the way I, you know, I see it is, it, do you feel like you were meant to be a cop at that time? Do you feel? This is where I belong. My skill set is here. Where did you have? No, I, I absolutely did not. I was uncomfortable being a cop from the start. I, I enjoyed it, but I was uncomfortable. It was scary. I was, I, I was not. Listen, when I walked out of the, I walked out. I tell a story. You may have heard it. I walked out of Madison Square Garden, graduated. And I just spent five and a half months in academy training. Got outside, had the uniform on for the first time with the gun and a badge on my chest. A woman's calling officer, officer, and I'm looking for the cop, and she's calling me. So, so. I don't know how prepared I was. I didn't, you know, I'm 21. Uh, you know, not that that's to minimize anything. People uh, have great responsibilities at that age, you know. But, you know, I mean, the reality was, and my father's telling me, son, the, 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 you're, there's a woman calling you. I don't know that. No, I don't know that, officer. He that's you. Oh, oh, okay. So it's just, it's just, it's silly, but it's true, and it's the facts, you know. I always talk in the facts, because you can't, you can't lie and make stuff up as you go. Life is oh, no, 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 no. complicated. You, you can't make your life story. Story up, my friend. It's, it's, it's impossible. I, that I definitely believe. Did you? Do you think you were prepared enough to come out of the academy and start becoming a street cop? I mean, I know they try to assign people to an older person. But do you think there was enough there? Well, you know, you got to go back to where, where this was and where this started. For, which one, there's a graduating class of 3,600 and some odd police officers at one day. Okay? And they didn't have the uh, officers in place to uh, basically ride along shotgun with you the whole time. So you, you sort of learned a lot of it on your own, or you learned just from innuendo on your own before you actually got trained. And by the time the training officer got to you six months later, you were like, okay, yeah, well, now what are you going to tell me? Something I didn't know already? You know, so it's, it, was, it was a difficult time because they just started the hiring back after the, the freeze of the 70s. Uh, they started to restaff the police departments because of the budget concerns that took place prior. 
And, uh, you know, 3600 was like the third or fourth largest police department in, in the United States at that time. That was the academy class. So it was an, a daunting task they had to handle. They had young guys basically learning from the next young guy. The older guy didn't want to work with us because, you know, they had their own little things going on, and they didn't want to bring rookies into that world, whatever that world was. We didn't know what it was. We just we just knew that it, it couldn't have been good if they didn't want us in it. <laughs> so, and, and, but it might have been so darn good that uh, we wanted in it anyway, you know. We're not sharing with the next generation. Um, yes. Brooklyn, 1982. Now, you can go back and look at pictures of that. Give me, give us a description of what Brooklyn looks like, 1982, the 75th precinct. Yeah. It's a war yeah. zone. Give it to us. Yeah. Yeah, well, when you dri- you're driving down Sutter Avenue and it's 6.30 in the morning, I'm coming in for my first shift. It was June 13th, 1983, actually, because it was a year after training in the street in Queens. And, I'm, and here I have got a year in the street now. I'm driving down Sutter Avenue with ghetto on from Elvis Presley in the ghetto. Because <laughs> you can't make this up. This is like, this is, this is the truth. And I got tears in my eyes. I should have stayed in school. What the heck is wrong with me? Uh, this is like, I just was in street array for a year in Queens. It was a busy spot. Corona, Jackson Heights, Elmhurst. There was a lot of stuff that took place over there, you know. So it was a big Colombian drug transportation area. But, I mean, now I'm in shock. Like, this is what, this is the other side of the world. Like, where is this? This side of the a-hole part of the world, right? They're playing dice on the side of a bodega at 6.30 in the morning. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I, I, I was scared of the people. Just look, oh, my God, look at these people. They're, they're playing dice at 6.30 in the morning. Something's wrong with this world. I, I don't know. Maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? But over time, though, it became part of your soul, didn't it? This I loved was, it. I this loved is it. where you felt you belonged. I loved it. I, it was the best place. In, I, I, I love, I hate to use this term because people don't think it is. I love the ghetto. It is so cool. I just, just, it just becomes. Tell me why. These guys went to Vietnam, right, years and years ago. And I grew up with these guys coming home. And it was like, yes, yeah, some of them were screwed up in the head from all the, the stuff they went through. But they actually, like, the, the bond that it brought people together with made you love what you hate. It was just weird. <laughs> and that's what, tell me though, before I go into the first break, what did you like about the ghetto? Was it all the different things happening at one time? Was it, it was was it the lack of rules? It was, it was action all day long. It was your choice on what, what, you, what kind of action you wanted to get involved in, or you know, it was just it never stopped. It was it was it was it was thrilling. I mean, one shooting after another, stabbings, murder, rapes, armed robberies, chases. I mean, like Hollywood movies don't even depict this thing right. It was just nonstop every day. You just had to make a choice on how involved you should get that day. And you say it in the documentary that the calls were so backed up on a shift but you didn't have a hundred back Chicky said that. Yeah, Chicky said that. That's Chicky right. said that. I didn't say it. But yeah. what Chicky was referring to in all fairness because people, of course, say that's a bunch of hogwash. What it was was Chicky was referring to Fourth of July, you know, days like that. You know, there'd be two, three hundred call backlogs because every people be calling shots fired all day long because every time they hear, you know, a, a firecracker go off and then to meanwhile someone's actually getting shot and there's no one available because they have any silly fireworks calls. You know, it's just whatever. He was really describing that moment, but 
on a daily basis, they'd be generally, you know, four, five, six, six, six job, ten job, fifteen job backlog, you know, and, and emergencies, you know. I mean, they don't usually call nine one one just for fireworks, you know. <laughs> and if there was, if there was a shooting going on, I was going because I knew there was some reason that guy got shot. Adrenaline rush. It wasn't because of, it wasn't because of his uh, his good looks or something. Adrenaline <laughs> rush. Michael, we're going to roll into a break first commercial, and we're going to come back out of it. You're listening to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. My guest today is Michael Dowd. He is part of the documentary, The 70, the 75, the 75th Precinct, out of Brooklyn, New York. Be right back. The nurses all gather round, and they gaze to the wide window. At the door they have found, the nurse spoke up, to leave the Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today my guest is Michael Dowd. He is part of a documentary, The 75, the 75th Precinct, out of Brooklyn, New York, where... The corruption ran rampant from 1986 to 1992. Michael, real quick, um, give us your website, what you're doing. Uh, we'll get some stuff out there for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm on speakerphone. Is that okay? That's right. I can hear you perfect, man. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's themikedowd.com uh, right now, uh, and themikedowd on Instagram, and themikedowd on Twitter. Uh, right now, I'm involved in a cigar project with actually, believe it or not, Adam Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all legit. It's all been cleared by customs. <laughs> I had one guy. I had one guy say, "Oh, this is perfect. Now they'll be imported direct." I mean, you got to be cool. kidding me. Yeah. I mean, this is how this is how weird the 80s are out there, and there are a lot of them. And I just want to. You you know, no, I just want to take the moment to thank them because the hate actually makes it interesting sometimes. I agree. But, as you might know. <laughs> um, and I'm involved with, uh, I do speaking now. I've done it quite often, actually, for the last, well, probably off and on for the last 10 years. I mean, actually, I'm home night since 2004. I mean, I've done speaking engagements at colleges and univer- either universities. And um, right now, in fact, about uh, almost a year now, I've been involved working on a film with the NYPD to train both their their, their instructors and their, their the, the offices that uh, about internal affairs, not internal affairs itself, on, on what to do and how to confront the issues that I faced on a daily basis and how to prevent young cops from going down the wrong path at a very early age. Well, let me ask you, now you have been referred to as the NYPD's most corrupt cop ever. I mean, how does that stick with you back in the day, definitely, you appear to be a new man since you, you know, did your time. You've come out. You're turning. You're making changes. But how does that sit with you personally? Well, you know, you did call me a narcissist before, right? Is that what you... <laughs> I, I asked if you thought you were a narcissist. No, okay. different. No, you, you know, you know what? I've, I've been psychologically analyzing myself for the last uh, probably fifty. I'm fifty-five, fifty-four years now, and um, yeah, I think I'm pretty good at it in some respects. I mean, you get good at certain things. We have to be honest about it. We get good at certain things. Uh, um, uh, but that eventually, we got to die early, right? So um, here I am today saying to myself, well, you know, what's it all about? You know, uh, I'm happy to say that if you want to call me the dirtiest cop in New York City history, I'll take the medal so that all the other guys don't have to, okay? But I didn't kill anybody. I just want you to make that clear. Yeah. I didn't kill anybody. I did some stupid things, some greedy things, things against my mother's training in nature. She still has to cringe when I walk in the house. Are you in trouble today, son? I'm 55, Ma. Let's get over this. You know? I was 22. 
24, 28, you know, I started to get stupider as I got older, more organized, so I didn't have to deal with the streets. And then, you know, what happened in the end was the street brought me down because of Kenny. You know, he didn't know how to do the street. Well, that's what I want to get into now, kind of going up. Now, you do your first take. It's about $200. No one comes yeah. for you. The cop, you know, no one's pulling up, grabbing you. Michael, get in the car. That's, you know, nothing's happening. Right. But now, as we flash forward, now my father's sitting in on this with me on the interview. We watched the documentary a few weeks ago. I actually saw it last spring when it first came out. You have big brass ones, my friend. Because you, you do. You have leadership You sink or swim, right? I'm telling you. To walk up at whatever point you did to uh, to Mike, I'm sorry, to Adam Diaz, mm -hmm. and say, hey, eight grand a week, my friend, and I'll give you protection. You give me some info so I can make some bus, take down your people. Well, eight grand a week, that's what we're going to call it. Better yet, I like this even more, $24,000 down payment. Right. Now, that was, that was the, that was the biggest move. I think, you know, just, just telling some gangster kid, you gotta, you gotta pay me 24,000 to talk to me. I think that was the coolest make move I made. <laughs> he, he paid it without a problem, so. Were you, did you think this through or it just popped into your head? Oh, the, the number was based upon like three months cleared salaries or between Kenny and I, I think it's $12,000. Actually, I think it was a six month at that time. So like a six month cleared salary, so in case we lost our jobs that the next day, we have six <laughs> Months living money to, to make our lives come back together. So you really calculated it based on that. That's amazing. Yeah. It was, now you uh, had it was a calculation for my accounting days. That's amazing. Chicky <laughs> now is your first partner, and there's a big bus that goes down at the seven seventh precinct, and Chicky decides, hey, I'm going to get out. I don't feel comfortable. You though, you calculate this correct. You calculate, hey. The NYPD is not going to want another bad publicity situation. Okay. They're not going to come over to the 7-5. Right. I'm going to ride this out. Not only am I going to ride it out, I'm going to expand business. Okay. Now, See, that's where yeah. the documentary this is uh, sinuous. Is that the proper? It twists and turns where some of the reality gets lost in, in, in Hollywood there. You know, I came back to the 75 precinct uh, after doing a stint in, in, in Hollywood, out in, um, in Coney Island, okay. because they sent me to Coney Island to dry up a little bit, which is probably the worst thing they could have done, because there was more, more drinking and, and whatnot on Hollywood, in, uh, in Coney Island. It's not like I was in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I come back to the 75 from Coney Island, and no one work with me. Yeah. Okay? This is now like 1986. Uh, and I like, I got five years almost on the job, and no one wants to work with me. I'm like, oh, God, I'm a tarnished young cop. No one wants to work with me because they're calling me a rat. They're calling me a rat. They're not calling me a rogue and all that stuff. It wasn't about the rogue stuff. They didn't care about that. So Kenny in the documentary alludes to the fact that I can't work with Mike because he's a rat. Well, that's not what he was alluding. I mean, because he's, he's corrupt. He says he thinks I'm a rat. That's why he don't want to work with me. So he says, so if I had a deal with Mike, the worst thing he can do is send me to the farm. You understand that? Gotcha. If you, if you remember that in the documentary. Gotcha. So, so, so this, this altar boy guy here, that, 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 <laughs> Him and, his, him and his, his wife that gives out the host at, at, 
Union, um, they were not what they were portrayed to be sort of in the documentary. And Kenny's thing that really upsets me, and don't get me wrong, he, could, he was retired for three years. He, he okay. was retired collecting a pension for three years when this whole thing began to unravel. So, I mean, if people understand that concept, he wasn't in the car with me any longer. I never had control over this guy. Look at the size of him. I could you control a guy that big? I mean, you must check him out on his sister. He's jacked. You know, but I guess, you know, some people have a big boat for other reasons. You know what I mean? But anyway, <laughs> small hands, whatever. Um, Wait, here's the thing that always got me when I'm watching. When I watch this, again, you got big ones, my friend. They walk up to the dealers, cut the deal, come up with the money the way you're doing it. Did you think maybe... I should lay low, put some money away for the future, be, prepare myself in case I have to bail, maybe not take the red Corvette to the station that day, to the precinct. Did any of this stuff, you know, because I love sports cars too, man. I own, I, I've owned them for years. I know that temptation. I never had one till then, so. Excuse me. You gotta excuse me for a little wax. Wow, I was so cool then, you know. You gotta realize my position. I was like, I can't believe that, that we haven't been arrested, and uh, this, is, this is ridiculous, and the lieutenant's trying to take my girlfriend from me, so now I'm gonna park the vet in his spot. So now he sees, not only can he not get it because he's not better looking than me, but he doesn't have a car like I do. And I just lost 1500 Lodge at the casino, and everybody in the precinct knows it. And I have two checks in the box that I haven't picked up yet, which is a month's worth of pay. So I think I, I think I just trumped you. <laughs> I don't mean that to be political right now. No, no, I, that's, and that's tremendous. Now, now, did you think at any time that the brass, the upper part, the upper echelon, at the 7-5, let's forget about the, just the whole NYPD, just the 7-5. No. Do you think, you think maybe they knew what was going on, but they were letting you see if you burn yourself out? Well, there's, 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 there's two schools of theory on that, and, and, and both of both are accurate, by the way. Once is, one is they tried to get rid of me, they sent me to Coney Island, okay? And then they asked me to put in a transfer notice to get transferred. Well, I put a transfer in, and no one would take me. <laughs> Surprise, right? So, so, that, so that happened. And then on the other part was they were following me over. They had an integrity control officer named Armstrong. I think his name is Dick Armstrong. He was following me, no pun intended there. And um, he, uh, he, 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 you know, he's call the police on him. <laughs> you know, male black with a gun, and he get rolled. <laughs> cops, the cops would roll out of his car and, and toss him and take his gun and tell him to shut up, stand straight. <laughs> and he was the integrity control officer. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I'm laughing about it because it's humorous. It's really not funny, though. It is and it isn't. I mean, you're yeah. a young man then, and, and, you know, what happened happened. You look like you've turned it around, and it's an entertaining story, obviously. Yeah. But, well, <laughs> I mean, but unfortunately, you had to go through it and live it. Right. Am I not allowed to talk about it now? I mean, I did pay the t pay. You know what I mean? I did pay for it, right? I assume there's people, though, that look at you or they see what's coming around with the documentary, the other things you're working on, and they think, how is this bastard able to, you know, be able to make money off of this, to profit off of this, yeah. and my comeback as it was for you yesterday, the same. Just think of G. Gordon Liddy and yeah. the whole Nixon thing. He made a whole career of it right after it went down. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys capitalized all over, but people do it all day long. I mean, the guy who worked on Wall Street. I mean, you can go up and down a list of people that have had something go wrong in their life or did something wrong in their life and turn it around. I mean, can, can you know, you know what it is? It's the cop community. They, they either love you or hate you. Many of them love you, but they're ashamed to admit it. Because, you know, it's just that whole stigma. And, and I'm not trying to put that on anybody, you know. It's just the way it is. I mean, I'm telling you facts. You know, you live facts. it, though. You live it. You don't try to shy away from it. The documentary shows that. I wouldn't say you're bragging. I would say you're telling the story as it happened, and that's yeah. the way it is. Mike, hold on on that one. Then we're going to roll into another break. Then we're going to come back, and i got some real meaty questions for you. All you're, right. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today my guest is Michael Dowd. Documentary, The 7-5, Corrupt Police. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Avery. Today, my guest is Michael Dowd. Documentary on him, The 7-5, The 75th Precinct, out of Brooklyn, New York, corrupt from 1986 to 1991. I suggest anyone that has HBO has on demand, go find the documentary, The 7-5. It is tremendous. Michael, who plays you in the movie, my friend? <laughs> oh, that's heavy. You know, there's been some back and forth between, uh, like, Tom Hardy, Wahlberg, even DiCaprio. So, yeah, it's going to be some moves, some characters, and something interesting. I'm going James Franco. You know what? Someone else suggested that, but they thought it was a little bit too small to play me. So My I don't father know. said that, too. How tall are you? Well, I'm six foot, six foot one, you know, okay, in that between, you know, and I'm, uh, you know, right now I'm two, two fifteen. I hate to admit it. <laughs> I, I run, I usually run around one ninety. I feel like I, I'm happy to say one ninety, but I'm not right now. You'll get it back. The summer's coming. You'll find yeah, something. Yeah, there you too. go. There you go. Thanks for positive. Getting into the police work itself now, there is that fine line. It's often been said. There's that line between a cop that is a good cop but also has a criminal mentality. In some ways, you have to be able to think the way a criminal does, especially as you get higher up into detective work and so forth. Right, right. What do you see? Do you think the police today are vetting potential candidates better than ever, or are they still missing the, uh, the boat there? Well, you know what? It's a long process vetting candidates for, for the police department. Now, some of it's actually doing me, by the way. But anyway, <clears throat> um, listen, I'm not involved in intimately with how they vet today. Mm -hmm. But even back then, I mean, uh, like one out of five or six applicants actually, you know, if, if, if 600 people took the test, you know, 60 people passed, 70 people passed, you know, as far as from beginning to end. So it, it's an in-depth, you know, uh, system that, that they put you through before you actually become a cop. So, you know, look, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say that the cops today are different from the cops back then because they are. But I don't know what the real difference is. Maybe it's, uh, you know, they're too soft. Maybe they're too military because they've got a lot of the different men coming in here now. You know, True. guys in the military shoot more quickly, if you ask my opinion, than guys that weren't military because they're so used to having a fire first and ask questions later. Where in the civilian world, it's ask questions and hope you don't have to fire unless you're protecting yourself. You know, so there's a lot of different things that I see from my perspective that are, that are taking place in the police world today. And you know what? Hey, let's 
a photo out there. Get the cameras on everybody. If you're going to get filmed, you might as well do the filming. Right? I mean, does that make sense? That seems to be the way they're going. Now, here's always been my argument, especially if you're working narcotics. Mm-hmm. You get together, you put together a special unit, a specialized mm-hmm. narcotics unit, maybe a five, seven, eight-man team. Okay. These guys have to be tight. They have to be tight or they're going to die. It's just as it is in the military. Right. What it's designed almost by fault to where temptation is going to come at these officers in these elite units. If one does it, they all have to. Because not only one can do it, it's that if that only happens, you know what happens then. It sets up a bad, bad situation. Right. And I don't, I mean, you can go back to training day, obviously totally out there as far as because it's Hollywood, but there's truth there. How do you be a part of that unit and if something's happening, not be a part of everything that's going on. Yeah, well, you know, I think, and this is this is this is maybe a little segue, but the reality is it's the cover-up that's worse, right? Yes. I mean, I mean am I am I correct in like alluding right to that? It's the cover-up right. that's worse. I agree. You know, everybody's involved. Look, it's very difficult. It, 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 it's actually very simple. The, the difficulty is when something goes wrong. Then what do we all do? You know, do we begin the cover-up, or do we, or do you know, do we, do we punk you out and get you get you out of the unit? I mean, what do you do? You know, the guy saved your life yesterday. How how do we handle this situation? You know, people are still they still have human um, feelings and emotions towards people, even if they do something wrong. I mean, if your brother got forbid did something wrong tomorrow, you'd still love him the next day. And then I can't argue with you on that. And I look at rationalization. I'm part of this five, six, seven man unit. We go in, we take down the dealers, a hundred thousand in cash. There, fifty of it makes it to the impound. Fifty of it somehow ends up in a duffel bag. We're all taking a piece of it. My kids are going to Catholic school. My right. wife's happy. They're getting a good education. Right. I think it's designed almost by fault that these temptations can become overwhelming. Listen, you know, Eve tempted Adam, right? I mean, it started back then. We were we aren't the first people to fall short of the glory of the of God, right? We, right. You know, we have to make that determination on a daily basis. The, the, the thing is this: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is this may help, okay, from my perspective today. Look at the end. <laughs> Look at the end, not the beginning or the, or the moment. You know, the, the gratification right now is not what you're gonna get later on when you're sitting there in that jail jail cell. Because 99 percent of the time, you get away with it once. Okay? Even twice. But when you make it part of your life, you're never going to get away from it. Even if you get away from the law, you'll never feel good inside, ever. When I was getting away from it at work, I was on my way to the hospital half the time. Driving with my body going numb on me. At 31 years old, my body's going numb. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm headed towards highway exit ramps so I don't kill anybody while I'm driving. This is what you actually end up doing, okay? So have at it if you like that. But it's not the world. It's not the life. It's so fun at the moment. But, you know, once you're in it and you don't know how to get out of it and, and you're looking for cars, when you're pulling to work, you're looking for strange cars. Like, oh, that, 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 that plain car there, that plain marked uh, patrol car with no markings on it, I never saw that one before. Is that them waiting for me when I walk in the door? That's what it becomes. Yeah, but I think you thrived in it. I think you thrived in it, my friend. And I'm not saying that as an outright negative, and I'll tell you why. There are people that are designed 
to have the leadership skills you had, to have the calculating mind. Yeah, things were moving fast, but some people are designed to be able to do that. Maybe in a different situation, it would have served you much better. But my question would be, if you don't get hooked on what you're dealing, what you're doing as far as the drugs itself, if you keep yourself straight mentally, do you think this thing goes on longer? Do you think maybe you find a way out in endgame where you might not get caught? Well, there, there was. I was out. I, I mean, this is silly. I was out, you know, in my mind. Of course, I never stopped. But I was already untouchable at some point there until, uh, until when the, well, we, I want to build a movie for everybody. But I was already out. I was, uh, I was, I was free. I'm free. Until uh, somebody retires and then wants to get involved in a game he didn't belong in. Uh, I, 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 listen, and I tell you that with all strict honesty. I mean, I, 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 you know what? I could have done the 15 year and walk plan, you know, where you vest out and go. Yeah. Uh, and at that time, I had 10 years and five months in, and, and I, I saw them all around me and saying, boy, this doesn't look good. But I don't want to say anything to spoof anybody, but this don't look good. <laughs> and it just got deeper and deeper. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the end story, which no one really knows, is that uh, we, we, Kenny and I set up an operation where we'd get like you know ten thousand a week each, uh, and this is because you know he was getting bored at home, but his pension wasn't wasn't covering his uh, his lifestyle anymore, and uh, me I like the action, so I set up set up the opportunity with a local drug dealer in East New York, and I wasn't even in East New York anymore. I was working in the Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and uh, so it really got involved there at the end. But you know, like I guess I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love. You know what I love? Like I learned to love bad situations. Is that? That's no, no, no. That's my point. There are people that are designed to handle when the S is hitting the fan. Everyone else is panicking. They're jumping off the ship. They're designed for it. Love it. I just love that. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I love it. Like when something goes wrong, people start to panic. I go in. I mean, I, I say, okay, stop, look around, see what we can do about this. Rather, because it's often like a pinch. I'm like, okay, what can I do about this? This is not the end. This is the beginning of a new project. That's it. You get it. Did you know you had to have known Kenny would always be the weakest link in what was going on around you? You had to have known that he could be the problem in the end. Well, you know, I did consider that, but I loved him so much I didn't want to believe it. I mean, it was like, I had people telling me, dude, he's going to bury you. Like, he's not right on bail. We're not on bail. I'm like, no, he wouldn't do that. Would you, would you Kenny, would you really do that to me? I mean, I, I give you everything. I give you my heart. Would you do that to me? No, Mike, I would never do that to you. Okay, thank you. I wanted to believe that he had the same commitment to me that I had to him, you know? I mean, is that... I don't know. No, no, no. I, no, no, no. I understand that. You know, guy, guy, you know, we got to make it through this, right? Yeah, let's do this. You know? He just didn't have, honestly, the way it reads, he never had that kind of personality. Your personality was so overwhelming to him and so, so big that it just drew him in. And, you, you know, know that, that, that's how I see it. Well, you know what? Look, look. He, he had his own dynamics. You know, his nickname was Scubber. I don't know if you would know that. <laughs> if your audience knows that. That part I didn't know. His nickname was Scubber. And I said to him one day, why is your nickname Scubber? He looks at me with that, I mean, that grin on his face and he goes, what do you think? <laughs> I go, uh, you have to help me here. I'm a little swallowed with this stuff. He goes, well, basically, I don't know if I can say this on the radio. He said, I'm a scumbag. 
church, the two of you guys it, you know, hit it right there. But let me ask you, though, as it's starting to come to the end, I'm, I'm positive you're feeling it. It must become surreal at some point. There has to be cars tailing you, one's going off to the left, one's going off to the left. 147 people in internal affairs were assigned to my case, plus 80-some-odd people from the state task, joint task force, okay? So 240-some-odd people were assigned to the case, and I'm saying to myself, why does it seem like there's so many cars following me? It must be me. Something's wrong with me. Guess what? No. I was right. No, you had it down on the mark. I mean, they must have been rotating the clock with you. They must have had 10 on, 10 off. It was uh, amazing. It was an amazing display because once Suffolk notified the city, the city said, we got everybody in internal affairs at your beck and call. Wow. wow. That's pretty huge. Yeah, that's pretty huge. When they finally pull you over or bring right. you in, they come to your home. Is that correct? Based on the documentary, they came to your home? That was, that was while I was out on bail on the, my first arrest. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and, and they do roll into my into my cul-de-sac, and then, you know, it was a beautiful home that I so, sort of, you know, I my cook. I had four homes in a condo on the ocean in Myrtle Beach, so I, I was living pretty good, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And I did, and I had two businesses in Florida. So I was doing okay, and, and and you know, so here I am, you know, thirty years old, thirty-one years old, and they come zooming into the, my my cul-de-sac, and I just poured the cement around my pool, and and I'm looking out, I'm, I'm, a week before, I'm looking out, in the, and I see these helicopters over my house, police helicopters. I'm going, I feel like like this is like a Scarface or one of the wise guys in the. In the <laughs> I said, I'm in my purple, I'm in the tree. I'm a lawyer. You got a test. Not Kenny, they got attacked. And he's going, I go, I got my bathtub on, they're pouring cement around my pool, I got helicopters over my house. I feel like one of these wise guys, or somebody, or Scarface. Hey, I'm just doing all my phone. You, gotta, you can't make this up. They're all in my house, the police helicopter. So why did you shut my house? Oh, my God. Hold the thought. We're going to take the final commercial break. This is too good. You're listening to Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Avery. Today, my guest is Michael Dowd. Documentary done on him, the 75-75th Precinct out of Brooklyn, New York, the most corrupt precinct from 1986 through 1991. We'll be right back. Oh, I am Welcome back to Life on Ed. I'm your host, Johnny. Today my guest is Michael Dowd. Documentary done on him, the 75, the 75th precinct out of Brooklyn, New York. Considered the most corrupt precinct ever between 1986 and 1991. Michael, when we just left it here at the last break, um, they finally have swooped in. They've got you. Are you processing it? I mean, do you believe it's happening, or do you think you have an ace or a joker somewhere that you can deal yourself out of this? So, so I was arrested twice. So let's just so so the documentary isn't always so clear on certain things, okay. uh, even though they mention it. I was arrested at the 94th precinct, which was my current precinct at the time. Gotcha. I, I say arrested. I was actually picked up and brought for uh, what they call the dole test, and so so that arrest, so let's call it, was probably. Um, uh, the most peaceful moment of my life. <laughs> wow! Thank you, God. Someone came and, and stole me from myself. It's just great. You know, it's over. You know, and uh, of course, I. You know, it was it was a moment of peace, and then you know you're going through all the, the possibilities of. Okay, so how am I going to get past this little, little bump in the road? You know, and 
And that's really how you start looking at it. Okay, you got a little bump in the road here. We'll take care of this. You know, what people don't know is that I already I had an involvement with internal affairs on a, on a, with a cop when I was a young cop. And uh, they said, hey, man, we're just looking to get rid of the guy. We don't want to lock him up. So that was always played in the back of my mind. So I figured, okay, they're going to just test me. I'm going to lose the job. All right, now I can become a real drug dealer. I mean, that's what's going through my head. Like, like, instead of saying, okay, now it's time for me to turn my life around, I'm like, okay, I'm not really hard at this. You know, become the major kingpin that I was born to be, I guess. I don't, you know, what do I know? Sorry, Ma. I didn't really mean to say that, but it's just, that's what happens. So anyway, you know, uh, now, now I get out on bail. And by the way, you know, we're having some fun with this topic. It's a very serious topic. It is a, it's, yes, it's a very serious topic. Yeah. You paid your, but you paid your dues, though, so you can relax with it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. But I just want, I just want you all to know that we can, we can, we find life is humorous, even if it's tragic. Some of the things we do, I find try to find humor in all of it. So, so excuse me if I sound glib or, or not remorseful because I get beat up for that all the time. But uh, you know. I, I'm being remorseful. I'm done. The remorse is gone. I'm, I'm done. I'm living. Sorry. There I go. You know? So, so, so then I'm, I'm, I'm getting, they're rolling into the court, and I'm saying to myself, oh, oh God, here they come. Again, I'm, and then if you, if you look at the documentary, I go, oh, again. <laughs> I'm like, oh, didn't I just go through this? Oh, and I'm like, so I'm, looking, I'm thinking I'm leaving the country, going to Nicaragua to be a shrimp boat captain, you know? And, and that's what I'm going to do. Soon. I don't know when, but soon. And, uh, you know, I need a half a million dollar plan, which is what the whole ending was about, which yeah. people don't really, really know until they hear my story. You know, that was uh, basically Kenny working for the government at that time and, and helping them get me to do something that I, normally outside my character and something I definitely was not going to do, but it's posed as though I was going to do because it basically was to enhance my sentence so Kenny would never have to deal with me the rest of his life, right? <laughs> if they give me, me a life sentence, Kenny is good at this. Happy. <laughs> oh, well. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I get a little frustrated sometimes because I, I, look, I'm a good guy. I do stupid things, you know. No, you made you made mistakes. You paid the price, and that's that's what I want to get into now. Because I thought it was impressive that you took the stand with the Mullen Commission in September of '93. Yeah, you thought it was impressive. I was cringing the whole time. But well, I, I was going to ask you that. Now, if you look at the footage, and I remember this specifically when it was actually happening. Oh, cool. And I remember watching the CNN reports. Right. And I was looking at you, and I couldn't decide. And we're, we're not, there's not that big of an age difference between right. us, maybe eight years or something. Right. And I'm looking at you, and I'm going, is this guy really upset by what's happening? Is he playing a role here? Is he upset with the woman commissioner, who I think was a real out-there kind of person? She was driving me crazy watching her. Oh, you know what? You're so insightful, because I didn't even pick that up until, like, my third or fourth time watching the film. Oh. She was nasty. Oh, she was. She was all over you, man. At least the men had some compassion. That woman had none. That woman had no compassion. Let me tell you something. She was kissing my ass. Did I say this on the record? That's okay. You said it. For months, it did in the debriefings. And I'm like, wait, that's why you see me so perplexed. I'm looking at my attorney like, what's this about? Yeah, but you answered the questions I thought. Now, we'll step back for a second. I want to make it clear here, and I think it's very important considering how police work works, how military work works, depending on what you're doing. You never, ever threw anyone else under the bus. Right. You never, you, you only agreed to speak. You told them straight up, you will talk about anything you were involved with, but right. nobody else. Correct. And I thought that... 
out of this whole Greek tragedy. Right. was very admirable of you to do that. Well, well I'm, I'm, let's be clear. The deal was this. They had a whole list of names okay. that were on, were on the wire between Kenny and I. So they had a laundry list of names. And so, so my, my thing for them was, look, I'm going to teach you people one thing. That's how to catch me. And so you have to acknowledge certain things that you did with a lot of different people. But... For my own defense, and, 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 and for, for rigorous honesty, is I would not testify or agree to testify against any person. That was what I said to them. I said, and they came to me three times. I, didn't, I told them, no, no, and then finally the third time, they had me accusing me of nine murders in the newspaper. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. You know, you know these, these, these chronicle writers, these McAleer, you know, dopes, they write stuff, and then at the end they go, this problem didn't happen, but it's a fishing expedition, you never know. I mean, you know, they wrote, they wrote so, you know, now I'm looking to defend myself. My lawyer says, dude, you need help. You got to do something. You know, they didn't throw you, like, you, you, you took a plea that has 10 to life in it. That was my plea, 10 to life, okay? He says, stop looking at the L instead of the 10. I'm going, what are you talking about? I'm really not that bad. I didn't kill anybody. I'm like crying to the guy. What's, what's, what's wrong with the system? I, you know, the wrong system is me, obviously, right? But, uh, so, yeah, so it was a d difficult moment, and I got this woman screaming at me. Oh, yeah. I'm doing the right thing, and I don't know where to go with this. I'm saying, I'm looking at my lawyer like, I just spoke to this woman for a month. She was so sweet and so nice to me. I don't want to tell him that in the commission. And she's yelling at me like I'm some, you know, piece of you know what. She was the loudest one on that commission coming at you. And I remember you looking over at your attorney at one point. You had a look on your face, but, like, I didn't agree to any of this. Yeah, this isn't what I was expecting. Hello? Did you know that I was doing this to me? Did they get anything out of it, though, you think, Michael? Do you think they uh, well, learned anything? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they, oh, they got the whole 30th precinct the next day. Oh, okay. I, I live here in Philly. Missed that part. Yeah. So they were able to do the trickle down then. Oh, the next day they got the first. See, what happens is this, and people don't know this. What happens is they took my, my schematic on how to catch me. Exactly. The exact thing I told them to do, they did it to the 30th precinct, which I feel bad for the guys. They called the Dirty 30. 30 men in the 30th precinct got arrested the next day after that commission hearing. Wow. And, and charged with conspiracy, all the whole drug deal. They did what I was doing. But they didn't do it like in the organized way that I was doing it, like with payouts and all that stuff. Although, although I hear a lot of stories that people were paying them big time everywhere. But anyway, I don't want to throw, I'll take the dirtiest cop everything. I don't care. Um, I, I, don't, you know, I don't want guys hating me because I'm, I'm deflecting. You know, it is what it is. Uh, you oh, know. No, man, 12 years in jail. Now, was that state or federal they put you in jail? Um, it was it was federal. I did federal time. It was okay. federal racketeering convictions. So okay. yeah, you, yeah. Uh, Where they send you? Uh, I was in Mariana, Florida. I started out in New York, of course, for two years, waiting to get sentenced to, in the, like jails, you know. And then I ended up in Mariana, Florida, which was like a country club in some respects until uh, the crack riots in '96. Then they took everything away, and you know, it was hey, listen, prison's prison. I don't give a damn where you are. Where you are, it's prison. The, the, the country club thing is really not existent. But I use, you use the word country club and you compare it to a jail cell, you know. So there's worse places to be. Well, yeah. jail cells are worse than prison. Let's just say that much, right, okay? Uh, you know, and uh, when you get when you get sentenced to go away to prison, you're actually starting to live a life again, you know. Um, but it's not a nice place to be for a cop. I'll tell you right now, no one's doing my laundry for free. 
you know? Yeah, I can imagine. You probably had a lot of, uh, you probably had to watch your back a lot more than most people would and yeah. put up with more crap than you would have. Did you feel yeah. yourself changing at all while you were in prison? Yeah. Was it a yeah, slow about process? Five, about four or five years in, I, 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 I'm, I'm done hating. I'm done being angry. I have nothing but forgiveness in my heart. I, I, I reached out to the Bible for some peace and you know, self-serenity. You know, I, I did AO programs in there and NA programs. I ran the in the prisons. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, I listen, I made the best of a bad situation. I worked out, I got jacked, you know, it was, uh, it was, it, listen, I changed my life around in that respect. The problem is you still are who you are in nature. I'm a funny, humorous guy, a real risk taker. So, you know, people see that, they're like, no, this guy's the same. I'm not really, you know, I'm not really into that kind of stuff anymore, but I'm into having fun, you know? Well, I got a couple minutes left. First, I want to ask you this, a couple of quick questions. Tell me. Uh, Yankees, Mets fan, which one? Mets. Rangers, Islanders. Rangers. Oh, God, I really hate you. Uh, <laughs> hey, Flyers, man, I got to live it that way. Uh, Giants, I, Schultz. I did not like Schultz, you get it, okay? I, I, he, he, almost killed, he almost killed the dog. Wow, hey, he name did is. kill him. He did. Yeah. He, the, man, the man was the walking dead on that yeah. ice. Yeah. Yep. We'll yep. get into that deeper at some point. <laughs> I guarantee it. Um Bobby Clark, the cheapest guy in the game. God, hey, he, he did. He broke Karloff's leg, the ankle, in the world, in the summit game back in the seventies. He mm -hmm. did what he had to do. I have no problem with that. <laughs> on a positive note, though, on a positive note, before I let you go here, your relationship with your son is very good now, correct? Correct. So very you, good. So you come full circle with your family and so forth. Yes, I have two. I have two sons. They both okay. they both love me, and yeah, we fight like cats and dogs still, but we love each other. <laughs> is your mom still alive? My mom, God bless her, and my father, both very healthy and, and strong. God, they God. made it through, huh? They made yeah, it through totally. the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Utterly my amazing. Mother, my mother's one tough. My mother's one tough broad. <laughs> real, real quick, then give us again the website and tell us some stuff you got coming up, some personal speaking appearances. Yeah, themikedowd uh, dot com, themikedowd on Twitter, and themikedowd on Instagram. Um, coming up, I'll be out. In fact, I'll be. Uh, I'll be out in Hollywood tomorrow, buddy. I'm going out there to see Jerry Coco Diaz, and then I have a meeting with someone from uh, Jessica Jones, uh, director, the director of Jessica Jones, and Mike Rappaport. I got a pretty good list of things up in the next week or so, just uh, just on that alone. So, uh, and, and I'm actually working on a book deal right now. One of the guys, uh, actually, what's his name? Um, oh, for Corey Pegasus. Pegasus. He was a, a deputy inspector cop, a black guy from the hood. Uh, he became a cop, and he they wrote a book about him. So he and I are actually collaborating on something right now. So uh, it, it, he's got a very interesting story. He was a he was a ghetto banger, and he became a cop and became an inspector. Well, as I promised you yesterday in our conversation, I've got some connections to a few people who are involved in publishing. I'm going to make a call on Monday and just see if there's a way I can kind of guide you to them. Hey, love so, you. Love any, any help out there. Uh, don't just don't, you know, just the haters. Just, I'm sorry if you hate, uh, but I love you all. I'll give you a big hug. Mike, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. You've been listening to Life Unedited. My guest today has been Michael Dowd. Documentary done on him, the 7-5, the 75th Precinct out of Brooklyn, New York. Corrupt, most corrupt from 1986 to 1991. But Michael has completely changed his life. The documentary is terrific. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a movie on you within the next two or three years. Yeah, Sony's got it right now, yeah. Sure. We're going to see it. Thanks, man. You have a good weekend. I love you guys. Thanks, Keep you well out there. Stay safe.